This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. My name is Drew Pastoric. Happy to be joined once again by my cohort from the Champagne Room, Mr. Plez Honeywood. Uh, we'll be reviewing the last week-ish in Fighting Illini Athletics. A kind of a slow week on the home front, but of course with the uh, other major Big Ten news of the past week, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit as well. Um, we're going to be knee deep in football here pretty soon, Plez. So we've got some, some football stuff to touch on for sure. Some preseason rankings that we may or may not agree with, which reminds me football, single game tickets available. Now go to fightingalina.com and get yours. <laughs> um, but wanted to start with something that, we would normally do at the end of an episode and, and plus your beverage is cracked. So I'll crack mine as well. We might need it, but I wanted to start with the Illini of the week. And typically that you would hear us do this at the end of an episode. It's been a minute since we've acknowledged or or put a spotlight on some of those uh, current Illini doing well. So I thought I would start with that because we have a lot of other stuff to get into um, first of all, I'm going to start with golf. I'm not a golf guy. I'm not a golfer. I don't follow golf super, super closely. But John Deere Classic was last week in my hometown of Silvis, Illinois. TPC Deer Run, beautiful course. Been there many, many times for various events, including the JDC. And there were some Illini in action, both current and former Nick Hardy, we'll start with him. He finished minus 13, tied for 21st, had a nice surge on the last day. I think he started 47th or 48th entering round four and wound up being tied for 21st. So a nice charge with a six under final round. And then Tommy Cool as well, part of the most recent Big Ten title team for Mike Small. He got a sponsor's exemption to compete in this event. Did not make the cut, finished minus one. The cut line was minus four. Um, But I'm sure I I wasn't there. I had a couple of friends and and family that were there, and I don't know if they got to see him play. But I'm sure just being an Illinois guy, there was quite a bit of support there, similar to when Steve Stricker had competed there in years past and and things like that. You know, we claim – local or local-ish athletes, and we always want to see the the glow up. So Tommy Cool did not make the cut at the John Deere Classic, but coming off a, a really nice season with Illini Golf and getting that chance to play in a professional event, very, very cool. And now we've got the lead-in to the Open Championship, the Scottish Open, and I believe Thomas Peters and – uh Detry are competing that as well. Is that right, Plus, I don't think Peters is playing this weekend, but Detry is playing this weekend in Scotland. Good stuff. So if you're a, a golf guy, if you follow the Illini and follow pro golf, a lot to keep your eyes on here in the next couple of weeks with the Scottish Open and then, of course, the British Open the week after that. Shifting to soccer, the Women's World Cup is about to start, kicks off. Later this week in Australia and New Zealand, and uh, former Illini defender Alicia Barker going to be participating in the Women's World Cup with the Philippines. She was named last week to the Filipino women's national team, and she'll be competing in the first group along with the Philippines. So Norway, Switzerland, and New Zealand, also part of Group A. 
and the Philippines will start against the Swiss on Thursday. For what it's worth, USA also competing on Thursday. They'll play Vietnam, United States in Group E with the Netherlands and Portugal as well. So I know we got a lot of soccer heads. Women's World Cup is huge. We know the U.S. are going to be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, to win it. I would suspect the Philippines not among those favorites, just uh, by taking a cursory glance at the rest of the field there. But still, very, very cool to have not just an Illini represented, but to have a chance to represent your country on, on the biggest stage. Very, very impressive stuff. Very cool. And lastly... We'll go to the Major League Baseball side of things. The MLB draft was this past week, sort of a prelude now to All-Star Weekend, or, or part of All-Star Weekend, I should say. And we had two Illini selected. There's also one Illini by proxy that was selected. So uh, Jack Weninger, he was the Sunday starter for Illinois this past season. He was drafted in the sixth round. 186 overall by the New York Mets. So, hey, he's still wearing orange and blue. All Big Ten second team this past season, right-handed pitcher, led the fighting Illini in wins, strikeouts, and innings pitched. So if he winds up signing, um, he'll have a chance, you know, sixth-round draft picks usually get a, a decent amount of money to sign. We'll see. Riley Gowans, another Illini right-handed pitcher, Goes in the ninth round to the Atlanta Braves, 279 overall. Redshirt junior, so a fifth-year junior, more likely to probably sign with a pro team. Said Atlanta chose him in the ninth round. 75 Ks to 16 walks last year, so pretty good ratio. Had three double-digit strikeout games a year ago for Illinois. Uh, local kid from uh, Cary, I believe, in the Chicagoland area. And then Jake Zatella, a assignee, an Illinois recruit for the class of 2023. He was drafted by the Mets as well in the 16th round, 486th overall. So probably going to see him in Champaign, most likely. A lot of the high school kids, unless you're going to be you know, first or second, you know, one of those top five rounds with the super big bonuses, you're probably going to be continuing your, your playing career in college somewhere. So likely to see Jake Zatella, third baseman out of St. Charles East, but he got drafted as well. So congrats to all of those Illini, both current and former. And I just wanted to give them some flowers as we started the show today, Plus. You know, it's it's the baseball draft. You know, we don't we don't ever talk about the baseball draft because for people who are draft nicks like I am, the baseball draft just takes too long. It's not necessarily a great television product. The NBA yeah. draft, for all of its problems, it goes quickly. Yes. The NFL draft is a gigantic show. It's a tourist attraction yep. in whatever city. So that's a that's a made for TV event for sure. The NFL, for all the things they do badly, they do the TV stuff very very well. Yeah. Yes, and so Major League Baseball, you know, a lot of elements of Major League Baseball are not necessarily television friendly all the time. So this, you know, incorporating the draft into All Star Weekend, I think is a good idea. Like it, it makes sense. It's where baseball fans are. So if there's one group of people who's likely to care about the draft in person, it would be the people who would travel to the Pacific Northwest for the All Star Game. So I mean, it, it's a it's a logical decision. I I think it worked fine. And good luck to the Illini who were who were drafted and they're and are ready to pursue their major league journeys. I'm looking forward to hearing about them in the future. Drew Pastoric, Plez Honeywood here on Oski Talk this week. We are minus Brant Dolce, uh, some storms in the St. Louis area uh, over the weekend. So he's kind of dealing with that, trying to clean up from that. So I hope everyone in that area is is okay and, and doing well. I know Chicago had some scary storms over the weekend as well. There were some really visually arresting photos on social media with like the John Hancock building getting struck by lightning and tornado clouds at O'Hare Airport and lots of stuff. So it's that time of year where weather can get a little nasty 
and you might not always be prepared for it. So good on Brant for taking care of the home front and making sure his uh, family, his neighbors, all that stuff are, are protected and safe. So Pleasant's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Let's go. Well, I said it's going to be a- go with his reference. That's a good one. <laughs> I said we're going to focus mainly on football today. There'll be some other stuff later in the show, but mostly football as we are heading closer and closer to seven weeks away from kickoff. Illinois taking on Toledo. And Big Ten Media Days is in a couple of weeks in Indianapolis. I'll be there representing the Champagne Room. And got a chance to go last year, and and that was really a treat to just take all of that in. And for those of you that don't know, it's like a giant car wash. They split up into two days. There's seven coaches one day or seven teams one day, seven teams the next day. Coaches do a little introductory press conference. They talk for maybe five or ten minutes, just like an opening statement. They field some questions. Then they do their local media stuff. There's like a local media scrum for 10 or 15 minutes. And they're pretty much answering questions the rest of the day. And BTN is there, so they'll take turns. You know, they'll rotate. Oh, here's the Illinois coach and some Illinois players. Here's Michigan. Here's Penn State. Here's Maryland, et cetera. And let us go down the line. They try to give equal time to, you know, it's really a bang-up job, super efficient. And this year, the three players, I don't know if if Illinois could have picked a better trio to represent the program at Big Ten Media Days. You got the law firm, Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph, and then Isaiah Williams as well. So three Big Ten first teamers representing Illinois. I think Ohio State's the only other team in the Big Ten that can say that. Again, I can't think of three better players to pick from. Yeah, Keith Randolph is one of the most like charismatic, gregarious, fun players Illinois football has had in a long time. I think he makes a great representative. Obviously, you know, Johnny Newton is looking like, you know, and if he stays healthy, definite first round guy, I'm looking at what these defensive tackles are getting paid in their second contracts. So it's like Johnny Newton looks like one of those dudes and it's great yeah. to have him. And I think that he personality wise also represents the program extraordinarily well. And what can you say about Isaiah Williams that hasn't been said since the day he verbally committed to Lovey Smith? He's been, he's been through the ringer. He's been, th- he's been through a lot, obviously had a position change, but he's so mature and and his his perspective on where the program is as compared to where where it came from i think his perspective is as valuable as anyone's and i can't wait to hear what he has to say yeah to that point plez i got a chance to listen and and chat with isaiah a little bit last year at, at media days and i came away so impressed by him and when you see him up close like I'm five foot ten and like a buck seventy-five. This dude's the same size as me, pretty much. Like he doesn't look like this world-class athlete when you see him up close. Uh, so the things he can do on the field, you know, in kind of a sport full of giants is really impressive. Um, but as you said, just the maturity and the things he mentioned last year about sticking with the program and the messaging sinking in because a lot of players, if they come in as a quarterback, they don't want to switch to wide receiver. Like that's not what I came to college to do. I was a five-star recruit. I had Alabama knocking at my door. You know, I had, I could have gone literally anywhere I wanted to go and I chose to come to Illinois. And then I brought this up with them. You know, most players in that situation would want to look elsewhere. You know, grass is always greener. And I asked him, you know, if that ever had crossed his mind. And he just said, no, never, never. You know, he embraced it. He realized that the coaching staff had his best interest at heart. And they were trying to unlock that ability in him. 
And Brett Bielema said this last year as well, that as a former quarterback, he sees the field differently than other wide receivers see it. He can recognize things. He's got that acumen for the game that other receivers might lack. Now, he's undersized, so you have to change the way you use him a little differently than if you were six foot four. You know, we're not talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. They're two different players, same position, but two different skill sets, size, physicality, whatever. But I think he made the right decision for sure. And he's going to be one of the most important players on that entire offense. So I'm really excited to see him again, get a chance to talk to him. And, you know, this isn't like the NBA where I had one good year and now I'm done. You know, you you have to stay for a little bit. And so odds are good that you're going to get a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, and then you're going to be able to increase those statistics. You're going to be able to show on a grander level what you're able to do, health permitting. So as you said, law firm, super uh, intriguing to see them just – they're massive human beings, first of all. So just to be next to them is like, it's weird for me to say that because I'm like 37, almost 38 years old. And these are, you know, 21, 22 year old kids. But it's like, I'm in awe of these people. Just that they can do what they do at that size is just amazing. Yeah, I, I just, just two comments. First of all, I'm trying to, I remember when Keith Randolph was a, a prospect out of the out of the metro area, the St. Louis metro. So he was a basketball player for yeah. all those years. I wouldn't want to guard him. Like that's that's just like the thought that kept coming to mind. Keep him away from me. Like like it. I don't care how complicated the switching on a pick and roll goes. I'm not guarding that guy. Like what? that's that's my mentality. But the other thing when I when you mentioned Isaiah Williams and and it, the, that a lot of players would have left in his situation. He was presented with three situations in which he could have left. When when Lovey Smith's staff got fired, when Brett Bielema asked him to change positions, and then when his mentor, his childhood mentor, left for Purdue. And he was like, no, nah, I'm staying. And that was that was great. That that shows that he's about more than just the relationship that he the relationships that he had that brought him in the door. He's about what he wants to do and the story he wants to finish in champagne you gotta love that i think he's as popular and beloved of a football player as we've had in in a long time and i'm I'm excited to see what he does in his last year absolutely plez he talked about that last year as well the relationship with Corey patterson that was obviously a big part of him coming to illinois in the first place and i know i wasn't the only one that was like oh no <laughs> is he gonna go because if he goes Anybody could go. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely nervous when when Corey Patterson went to Purdue to join Ryan Walter's staff because um, he had talked about knowing him since he was a kid. I say a kid. He's like 21, but you understand. Um, and I think he alluded to being in St. Louis and, and that tie-in, like the Illinois fan base is strong in St. Louis. So to represent – St. Louis, while being in Illinois, that was important to him as well, to have that tie-in, to have that community. And it's got IO vibes to me. Like He gives off a lot of IO vibes as like, this guy could have left, could have done this, could have done that. He decides to stay. He saw something either himself or, or believed, you know, bought into what the coaching staff is doing, you know, like Brad Underwood, you know, the everyday guys, the buy-in, you know, the guys that stuck around truly, truly believe it and exemplify it. And Isaiah Williams is doing that on the football side with Brett Bielema. So shifting gears, staying with the football side of things, our own Mahir Shivan at the Champagne Room put together a piece about the offensive line and how Brett Bielema has, in his words, solved the offensive line problem. It's a great piece at thechampagneroom.com. You can read it right now, talking about retention and development, all of the things that Brett Bielema has preached, everything that he has emphasized on the recruiting trail, and then 
obviously once they get to Illinois, um, there was that famous quote from 2021 that Brett Bielema was essentially, you know, it was viewed that he was lambasting, that he was criticizing the existing offensive linemen that got some traction of like, oh my God, like, how do you say that out loud? But the players seemed to understand what he was talking about. And a lot of other former players, not just the lineup players, but other you know college you know, analysts and stuff seem to have no issue with what he said. And now we see where Illinois is at. So clearly the message was received and it was um, delivered very appropriately. So I'm here just kind of dives into that. In the media being in an uproar about those words, Bielema not backing down from those comments. And as Mahir points out in the piece, looking back at it, he was very correct. And staff has worked tirelessly to augment the offensive line. You know, we saw Isaiah Adams and uh, uh, Zy Chrysler come in last year, kind of give an immediate jolt to the O-line. And they've just kept that going, trying to just plug holes, trying to, you know, keep guys in the fold, but also bring in new players. And this offensive line, I don't know if it's as good as last year's offensive line. It's hard to predict that, but you still have a lot of big-time talent coming back with Chrysler and Adams, two guys that could have gone pro. Certainly Adams could have gone pro. I think he would have likely been drafted day two or day three. Decides to come back, boost his stock. And, you know, Pearl is back in the center position. You've got Kroots there and, you know, maybe he's the guy. We don't know quite yet. You know, there was some, some transfer portal stuff that happened where we thought we were getting somebody and then they leave and then, you know, there's been some question marks about the center position, but I think everything else on the O-line appears to be pretty solid, Plez. Yeah, the Avery Jones... Uh, I wouldn't say debacle. Maybe that's not the right word, but the... Uh, the Avery Jones situation. Yes. Was, <laughs> uh, it was disappointing because that was a high-end prospect that you know is a plug-and-play guy. But, you know, shout-out to Bart Miller who's done a great job coaching this group. Like we, the recruiting is obviously taken a step forward in that department. The previous coaching staff didn't do as good of a job after Butkus left recruiting offensive line talent, but <clears throat> shout out to the way he's coached this group, the way that, you know, the young, the, the younger guys don't have to play right away. Like Vidarian Lowe had to play before he should have. You know, Palcho had to play before he should have. Whereas now you're Josh Geskis, Hunter Whitenax, Mountus Molers, you know, Brandon Henderson, a guy who I'm very excited about. Like these guys, they don't have to play right now because there's such a there's such depth right now. And and these guys are bought in. So I, I think Mahir did a great job talking about where this line group was and where it is now. And I'm excited to see where it where it's going in the future as well. You know, obviously, as someone who grew up in Chicago, having a Crutes playing center is an exciting prospect, especially remembering the style that his dad played center with. That will fit in very well in those in those games against Iowa and Wisconsin that are like 12 to 9 games, and you <laughs> need to get a first down on fourth and one, and you need a center who's willing to do anything to get his guy free for a yard. I think the guy whose last name is Krutz is going to be that guy. Check out Mahir's piece. It's outstanding. Yeah, there's spreadsheets. Everyone loves spreadsheets and data nowadays, right? So lots of great stuff about, you know, having great O-line talent, but maybe not nurturing it as well as they could have with other administrations. If you have those four- and five-year guys, it doesn't leave a lot of room for development behind them so you know, that's certainly a good point that you know maybe gets overlooked is that yes you've got this veteran experienced group but then what happens if something happens then you're throwing in some guy who's had no reps or very few reps so yeah Mahir does a tremendous job of outlining that talking about 
retention and recruitment and just the amount of work that Brett Bielema and his crew have put in in two and a half years, basically, to build that offensive line into a formidable unit um, certainly helped Chase Brown. I don't think he's going to complain about the O-line. <laughs> it did. And it we'll did. see how the running back room fares this year with no Chase Brown. That's Those are big shoes to fill. But I don't think protection is going to be an issue at all. I don't, I don't think scheme will be an issue either. I think that with Lenny, the, the way you run in Lenny's system is clear and they've got the backs to do it and they've definitely got the line to block for it. So I'm, I'm excited to see how the run game evolves in year two under coach Lenny. Yeah. Uh, so kind of towards the end of the piece, um, I hear mentions some of Brett Bielema's words about two new starters every year that to your point, to what we talked about before, there's no Pilstrom anymore. There's no Palcho anymore. But when Isaiah Adams leaves and Zy Chrysler leaves and Julian Pertle leaves or Jordan Slaughter leaves, you've got guys in the pipeline that are going to do battle with those guys. So they'll be more prepared to play when that moment does arrive for them. So again, phenomenal stuff from Mahir. Does a tremendous job with the football stuff analytically and really breaking things down. Got to check out that piece at thechampagneroom.com. To that point, sticking with football, um, Phil Steele, one of the preeminent college football analysts, I guess you would call him, puts out a lot of preview things, a lot of prospectus-related things as it pertains to college football. I don't want to say he's like the Ken Palm of football. It's not maybe entirely accurate, but... His ratings, his rankings tend to carry a lot of weights. People trust his valuations most of the time. Uh, this might be uh, where we we differ on some things here, Plez, because Phil Steele did put out his projections, his rankings for the Big Ten just nationally, like position group by position group. And I think it's just some good food for thought for the podcast because we're getting closer to football season. Drew Pastoric plus Honeywood on Oski Talk this week. And um, he ranks the top 65. Phil Steele ranks the top 65 in each group. Quarterback-wise, he doesn't have the Big Ten, or he doesn't have Illinois in that top 65. I think that's fair to say. Luke Altmeyer there. John Paddock likely behind him. We don't really know what those guys can do yet. So I think it's fair. There's still some uncertainty regarding that. But here's where I think there was some some kerfuffle, so to speak, Plez. Talked about running backs out of those top 65. Illinois does not appear at the running back rankings. Indiana is 64, so they're just on the fringe. They just made the cut to steal some golf parlance there. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, they're four of the top five listed by Phil Steele. Then you have Minnesota, Maryland, Nebraska, Iowa, and Indiana. No Illinois. So I wanted to first, Plez, get your thoughts on that because – You've been pretty high on the running back room. You think that the running backs are going to be in good shape, but I I think it's more of just not really knowing who the top guys are. Like we're not talking about Chase Brown getting snubbed. We're talking about you got Reggie Love is really the only guy that got a lot of time last year. McCray was injured. And then you've got some talent for sure, but a lot of unproven talent. So let's start with, with your opinion of the running back ranking, so to speak. I don't think it's that spicy of a take to say that a largely unproven running back room should be ranked like a largely unproven running back room. I don't I don't think that's particularly controversial. I yes, I am high on the running back room because I, you know, especially I'm I'm high on the possibility of a Jordan Anderson breakout, especially as a receiver. I think that McCray has physicality and Love showed in spurts that he can be a, a good back in the in the Big Ten. 
I think a healthy Aiden Lawfrey with his speed will definitely you know be an impact player and will absolutely be a huge fan favorite. And and I think that you know Caden Fagan, if he sees the field, he's got he's physically ready to play in the Big Ten. We'll see if he's still raw technically. We don't know this yet, but all these things that I just described for the most part are unknowns. So I understand the the rationale behind not having Illinois ranked here. I think by the end of the year, they won't be in that position. Fair enough. Um, but then, as we alluded to, we talked about the offensive line, Plez, and Phil Steele has Illinois' offensive line group at 54 overall, which would be fifth in the Big Ten. Michigan, no one's going to doubt that. They had the best line in the country last season. Ohio State, it's Ohio State, of course. Penn State, it's Penn State. Of course, they're going to have one of the elite groups. Those three programs recruit at a national championship level every single year. So no one's going to question that. Wisconsin at 18, a little bit strange to me. I know they pop out six foot seven, 350-pound guys like Pez Candy, but I mean – that group was not particularly strong, in my opinion, last year. Certainly not when they played Illinois, at least. They were not very good. Um, so that was a little puzzling to me. And then Illinois is the next one. So you got Michigan 2, Ohio State ranked 8th by Phil Steele, Penn State at 14, Wisconsin 18, and then Illinois all the way down at 54. And I mean, you got two, probably three NFL guys on that line. And just kind of that to me was the more controversial of them. Like, okay, you said the running back stuff. I agree with you there. What What's your thought on the O-line piece of that? A lot of the depth behind the starters is completely unproven. That's the only explanation I can think of. Because as far as, you know, I can't guarantee that the starting depth chart is going to stay the way that it is right now, but looking at the starters as it currently stands, I don't think there's any way this isn't at least the top 40 national offensive line, especially not just considering their talent, but considering what they're asked to do and how well the returning players have demonstrated they can do those things. I think that that's a bit of an underrating of this all this O line. But again, the only explanation I can think of is when you look at the the second team and the depth pieces. You know, you have Josh Geske, who's unproven. Zach Barlev is unproven. Des Schuster, who you know could be an impact guy, but he's unproven at the Power Five level. Hunter Whitenack, unproven at the Power Five level. So I, that's the only explanation I can think of is those other programs are also bringing back more experience. I could see that. Yeah. I I think just kind of the gulf between Wisconsin and Illinois, like 18 to 54 seemed a little surprising to me. Like if you watched Illinois last year, they were mowing people down for Chase Brown to, to run Chase Brown's not the East West slippery running back he is in your face he's like just a rhino charging right through you um downhill you know that you need to have some protection (laughs) to be able to run that way with that physical style um so that i think that was more of what alarmed me was you know if they if you have them behind those other four teams i'm not going to argue a whole lot with that but to say that they're the top 60 out of the top 65 they're 54th that's a little surprising at least to me going down through here the rest of the the rest of the way defensive line another one that's on the surface seems a little surprising but when you see how phil Steele has them ranked it makes a little more sense defensive line illinois is the fifth best ranking in the big 10 but it's 13th overall so I think a lot of that has to do with the depth, as you said. You've got Newton and Randolph. You've got Gabe Ackes, who is he an O-lineman? Is he a linebacker? What what are they going to do? How are they going to deploy him? But those are three NFL players. 
and, and Seth, Seth Coleman is Seth another, Coleman. Are, you, yep. are you counting him as a DN or an outside linebacker? Yeah. I, I, so that's fair question. So Penn State is rated as the third best defensive line unit, according to Phil Steele. Ohio State fourth. Iowa fifth. So Penn State, Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan, three, four, five, six, according to Phil Steele. Then Illinois goes at 13. Linebackers, Illinois is rated 37th, according to Phil Steele, which is ninth in the Big Ten. Defensive backs, Illinois rated 36th out of the top 65. I think that's a pretty fair ranking considering all of the talent that went away. I I thought that would be kind of the, the one where Phil Steele would rank them a little lower or not in that top 65 because you lost Sidney Brown and Quan Martin and Devin Witherspoon and uh, Kendall Smith. And you've got a lot of younger guys and then the transfer portal filling those spots in. So he's still high on the secondary, which is good. That seems like a fair assessment, rating them in the top 40. And then special teams, he's got them 53rd overall out of that 65. I want to backtrack just for a moment because there's one position group I think got disrespected a little bit, and it's the wide receivers. Oh, yes. I, I didn't even mention that. Yeah, you're right. Yep. 58th out of the 65. 58th. Yeah. I I don't. Now, if you had said that in past years, I would have completely understood. In, in past years, this wasn't the deepest, most talented room. I think I, Isaiah Williams and and Pat Bryant and Casey Washington have solidified the starting group in that position. Now, I understand the two deep is a little unproven, but when your unproven talent includes Malik Elzey, Sean Miller, yeah. Sean Miller, Colin Dixon, you know, we've only seen a little bit of Hank Beatty, Canary Wiltshire, who's, who looks like maybe the fastest guy on a team with a lot of really fast guys. Like I feel way more optimistic about the wide receiver room than Phil Steele does. Yeah, uh, sorry, I completely uh, missed that on the rankings. Yeah, Ohio State number one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they, they got two guys who are going to be top ten picks in their wide receivers room right now. That, I think that's going to be fine. Uh, but then it, it gets a little interesting, though. There's a little bit of a dip. You have Maryland rated second among the Big Ten, according to Phil Steele. These are his rankings, his position group ranks. So Maryland is second. He ranks them 23rd. Minnesota rated 29th, which I thought was a little surprising. How many times have I said that word? It's like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Every time I say surprising, ah! waiting for Jombie to come out. Penn State at 34, fourth in the Big Ten. Then Wisconsin at 36, Michigan 39, Nebraska at 53, Indiana at 55. And then Illinois, among the top 65, Illinois is last in the Big Ten at 58. So, yeah, smells a little funny to me when you got one guy who's an all-Big Ten choice and then two guys that have contributed a lot in their time in Champaign. Yeah, it, that, that seems a little – I won't say it. Yeah, it's – I think that room is going to be a top 35-ish receiver room by the end of the year, especially if Altmeyer is what we think he can be. I think we're going to get some good play out of that room, and I think the young guys are going to push the veterans for their for their reps. Yeah. So if we're looking at just the sheer rankings, uh, Penn State has the highest in defensive backs – in linebackers, in defensive line. So they're just going to shut out everybody, I guess. <laughs> James Franklin's seat's not going to be warm at all this year, apparently. Not at all. Especially if they lose to Illinois. It won't be hot at all. No, no warmth whatsoever for Mr. Franklin. Not at all. <laughs> Plus Honeywood and Drew Pastoric here on Oski Talk. Thanks so much for listening. You can check out uh, the champagneroom.com for some of these other stories and uh, follow us at the champagne room on social media as well. 
So we talked a lot about Illini football. Obviously, we're getting closer to seven weeks away from the start of the season. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the events that happened in Evanston. We talked about it a little bit last week. At that point in time, the hazing allegations had just started to bubble up. There was a really great piece by the student newspaper, the Daily Northwestern, that chronicled a lot of the alleged abuse that took place, sexual hazing and and racism, and just a lot of bad behavior all the way around, just this toxic culture reportedly going on at Northwestern. And it led to Pat Fitzgerald being fired. We we had talked about that last week, Plez, uh, with, with Brantz as well, and we saw this coming a whistleblower to come forward with these allegations of abuse. The school had been notified of them. And as we know now, didn't really seem to do much with those allegations. And until this piece came out and then the heat got turned up and it ultimately cost Pat Fitzgerald his job. We don't know how much of this is true, how much of it's false, but nowadays you just you can't tolerate these kind of things. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire, or in the case of Pat Fitzgerald, where there's naked quarterback center exchanges, there's fire. I'm glad that action was taken. We'll see if that action will suffice. We'll see if that's enough to, you know, if this is all it's all lines up being true, if this is enough to right the cultural wrongs that have been, you know, seemingly passed over for years or overlooked for years within the football building at Northwestern. I, I, again, the young men who had to endure this, you know, that's who we should be, you know, wishing the best for. Yeah. This this isn't this isn't a football story. No. This is an abuse story. This is a lack of institutional control story. And I I certainly hope that the toxicity of these allegations is out the door with Coach Fitzgerald. Well, then you had the baseball program on top of that. So yeah, There's a lot of stuff going on in Northwestern. And as you touched on, Plez, the details that we've read, that we've seen, the accounts that were described, it's harrowing. And it's just inappropriate is putting it mildly. And there's no place for it. I know and you've talked about your reverence for Michael Wilbon, Northwestern alum. Maybe out of morbid curiosity, I, I tuned into PTI on Tuesday. You know, he had, uh, Pat Fitzgerald had gotten fired Monday, late afternoon, early evening. And so I was interested just as him being a very prominent member of sports media and a very prominent Northwestern alum, a trustee at Northwestern, what his thoughts were, because his opinion is going to have more weight than yours or mine or Brant's or anybody else. And he said the same thing. Fraternities have gotten removed from campuses. They've gotten shut down for these types of things that are being described. And, you know, he knows Pat Fitzgerald pretty well, I would suspect. And he said, and I think that's 100% true, that Pat Fitzgerald's probably the most recognizable figure when it comes to Northwestern football ever. Uh, he's what, 47, 46, and he's been the head coach for 17 years. He was an assistant for four or five years before that, and he played at Northwestern before that. So you identify Pat Fitzgerald with Northwestern football, and it's got to be jarring. It's got to be disheartening or disenfranchising or whatever you want to call it. It's It's got to be upsetting for a lot of those people and you know he said some of the things that that we mentioned on the show describing it like the things that were talked about are just horrific and there's no place for it and maybe 20 30 40 years ago it was okay but now it isn't and you have to make that decision like that was the move you had to make i'm sorry for those people that think that 
1,000 players over 17 years would not have had instructions to do this from the head coach. That they all just decided unilaterally, secretly, that they were going to do hazing and the coaches didn't know about it. That's stupid. That's ignorance. There's no way coaches didn't know this was going on. So, sorry, Clay Travis. There's no way they didn't know it was happening. It's a weird thing now that Northwestern has to deal with. They, it's a self-inflicted thing, but it's it's a little weird. Like, how do you move forward with the season knowing that your coach is gone and we don't know where to turn now? There's no way that if you're going to fire the head coach for either knowing and not doing or turning a blind eye, then – I don't know how you retain even a single assistant on that staff because you don't know how deep this goes. So I understand there's two months before a football season, but I think there are certain things that should supersede the significance of a football season. Right. Because you can't have anyone who's affiliated with this era, period. It's it's gross that these assistants get to keep their job and one even got promoted to interim head coach. I can't I can't co-sign that, man. And and let me be clear, I'm not I'm not saying like, oh, poor football. Like, yes, there's more important stuff. It's just in terms of the timeline, logistics. Like, how do you move forward? Because even if you bring in an interim coach who's an outside figure, you've got five weeks, really? Not even that before camp. You're talking about three or four weeks, maybe, to cobble together a staff and do something. Again, it's it's self-inflicted. I'm not weeping for them, but in that respect, with regard to purely football preparation, I kind of understand it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be held accountable, but for those players that are there, those players that are on the roster that aren't going to leave, that are going to stick it through, they should have a chance to compete somewhat fairly. I guess might not be the right word, but yes, this supersedes football. This goes beyond football. Um, It's kind of weird because Northwestern's dealt with this sudden change stuff before. That's how Pat Fitzgerald got that job to begin with. Randy Walker, the head coach, passed away late in the summer and – You know, Pat Fitzgerald, part of that Rose Bowl team, he'd already had that equity built up by that time. And he was an assistant and got promoted. But again, you're talking about Randy Walker passed away like in late June or early July. So you around this time of year. And now you're starting from scratch and trying to put a team together in, you know, a month or so before you start camp and about two months before the season starts. So um, I don't feel bad for the players that participated in this stuff, this garbage. I mean, that's, that's a learned behavior as far as I'm concerned. So that's why I think the, you know, Pat Fitzgerald has to take the brunt of that as the head coach. That's his responsibility to maintain authority on his program. And if he's derelict in that duty, you have to get rid of him. So, like, all these people that are defending Pat Fitzgerald, did you not read this stuff? If you did a Venn diagram of the people defending Pat Fitzgerald and the people who think diversity, equity, and inclusion education is bad, it's just one circle. There's no overlap. It's the same group of people, and you know who I'm talking about. I don't even need to get into that. Those are the people that made this a political thing. Oh my God, some student reporters, the Twitter mob took people down. Oh my God. No, this was reported to the school by a whistleblower. Some blurb or some story came out that the goal of this whistleblower was to like get Pat Fitzgerald fired. Even if that's the case, that means he was hazed. (laughs) I just, I don't get it. I would feel the same way if Brett Bielema was doing this, if Brad Underwood had been had done stuff like this, if 
Shauna Green does stuff like this. Chris Thomas, you name the coach. If they were doing this, I'd feel the exact same way. It doesn't matter who the coach is or who the school is. has nothing to do with that. You know, this, again, like you said, this isn't a political matter unless you want it to be one. And right now, I I can just think of, you know, the example of, you know, one bad apple is is what people always say, right? It's just a rogue actor. It's one bad apple. There are certain professions where you can't have bad apples. Right. There's certain situations of oversight where you can't be a bad apple. Like there's no, if college basketball coaches got busted by the FBI for payments to players, and they did jail time. They were fired and 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 blackballed from coaching at the Power Five level for that. Which, as far as I'm concerned, is far less heinous. And we have people trying to say that we're politicizing the alleged systemic sexual abuse of students at an elite private university, and that's the hill you're going to die on. Yeah. Then. Then, then we're not then we're not having the same conversation. So again, I, I hope that the student athletes at Northwestern who were victimized by this have have their recourse, whatever it may be. Hopefully they get to select what that recourse is. And and I hope that you know future students, student athletes at Northwestern don't have to go through this kind of abuse. And again, not just at Northwestern, but they're the topic right now. So that that, yeah. that goes for any student athlete or any college student in any campus but right now northwestern is the story and i you know i i think our attention should be more on those student athletes than on a millionaire football coach who doesn't have his job and can afford an expensive lawyer and tie this thing up in litigation forever if he so chooses absolutely couldn't have said it better myself plus honeywood drew pastoric on oski talk want to kind of end on a better note this there's another podcast that spends a lot of time talking about illinois but they're not an illinois podcast so sidelines right sidelines yes sleepers media sleepers yes sleepers sorry so it's two guys that are michigan fans One's a Michigan fan and one's a Michigan State fan. Okay, so one's Michigan, one's Michigan State. They've talked a lot about Illinois basketball of late. First, it was the Ty Rogers thing. You know, Ty Rogers had those comments a couple of weeks ago about the culture, and there were bad actors, to go back to our Northwestern conversation, bad actors in the locker room or guys that looked like they were good people, but they really weren't. And maybe it's attitudes or selfishness or whatever. Those guys are gone now. He just basically was complimenting the guys that there are that are on the team now that he's working with. And that turned into this whole thing. It got spun around as like, oh, well, he's obviously talking about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Not hard dots to connect. You have Matthew Meyer. RJ Melendez and Jaden Epps who are no longer with the program. So it didn't really seem like it was that hot of a take for a guy to say, Hey, I like these new guys better than the old guys. And it got spun around in this weird way on their podcast. And they were like, Oh, so the guy who averages three points a game is going to be your vocal leader. That's kind of weird. It's just bizarre. It's like of all the things you're going to talk about, they have, I think they were kind of framing it as like the real housewives of champagne. Like Illinois is good at there's drama, a point guard's gonna leave the program, and they beat Michigan. So at least he acknowledged that Illinois beats the tar out of Michigan every year. Um but that was like a couple weeks ago, and I thought, okay, fine, like that's over, it's done with. Ty Rogers, like Brad Underwood squelched it. Like it was fine. And maybe you listen to the show, Plez. I really don't. It's like, I'm just, I'm a radio guy. So for me, it's like, why am I even acknowledging the other station is do your shit and don't worry about what they're doing. So like, 
it might be the best podcast of all time. I don't really know. I don't listen to it. I have too much stuff occupying my brain. But you're talking about Illinois. So I feel like I've got to jump in. So I got to rep my people. I got to rep my fandom. Right? 100%. (laughs) This This is the thing. Like the last year, you know, when when Illinois hit the trifecta of Brad Underwood, Shauna Green, and Brett Bielema all being in the postseason, our fan base, of which I am admittedly a part, a passionate, vociferous part, reached new levels of neurosis. Yes. This happened. Yes. Okay? Yes. I'm, I'm not here to deny or pretend like this didn't happen. It certainly did. <laughs> my neurosis comes out in my column. When you read my column in the Champagne Room, sometimes you read you read what I wrote. It's like, is he okay? We're very loquacious, right? We're, we're you said vociferous, yes. and that's a great adjective. I like loquacious because we talk a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we talk but, a great deal. Sometimes yeah, but, it's worth listening to. Sometimes it isn't but we're passionate so we convey our feelings. So when someone else, it's like the whole, if if someone, I'm going to pick on my brother all day, okay? Yes. If he's my brother, I can pick on him. If you, from outside my family, want to come into my house and pick on my brother, I'm going to punch you in the throat. Like, that is how this works. Yes. So when when someone else is is making light of toxicity about which they may or may not know anything in a basketball program for which I have been a fan since, you know, the first Illini game I watched, which was in the Final Four in 1989. That's when I became a fan. When, when you approach me like this, I want to fight you. And that's just how it is. And our fan base has been smack talking on social media more than ever the last couple of years. We're getting worse. Thousand percent. We're getting a little chesty. We're we're peacocking a little bit. Yeah. And maybe that it's not necessarily warranted, but it's like a it's like a drug. You get that hit and then you're like, ooh, that feels really good. I want some more of that. When you win a little bit, you're like, Let's keep winning. Let's win some more. And then you tend to talk a little more smack as it goes along. Yes, exactly. I see, I'm seeing a lot more orange when I go home to Chicago these days than I was in previous years. Illini fans are, are louder and prouder now than they've been in quite some time. But my overall point is this. If any other outside non-Illini podcasts would like to talk smack about the Illini and its toxicity, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to get a punch back. Like, that's just how our fan base is now. We have gone nuts. And I'm going to drag an entire fan base with me to lunacy because that's the direction we're going in. So to that other podcast, please keep talking about Illinois. Please keep endearing yourselves, not really, to the fan base. And, uh, yeah, have fun with that. Get, good good luck during football season. <laughs> As you were talking about it i remembered that the whole thing was like that's really weird that he would talk shit but then they invited him on their podcast to explain why he was talking shit (laughs) it's like this is very bizarre why you would do this please come on our podcast and give us some cloud to talk about it some more it's just the stupidest thing um and then i saw this if you pay attention to baseball there's been this thing on twitter called the immaculate grid It's sort of like a Sudoku kind of thing. There's, you know, a couple of teams on the grid and you have to find, oh, this player played for the Cubs and the Indians. And then this player hit 300 or this player hit 400 home runs. And so the sleepers, this was last week, they put out a thing that said, had anybody filled out today's ill, I-L-L, maculate grid? And it was... On one column, on the left, it was entered the portal, zero Sweet 16 appearances, toxic personality. There's a block I at the top, and then to the right, it's played on a Big Ten team with orange colors, and then he's our point guard. I understand that the fan base, the Illini fan base, has given them some ammo to work with, but, like, what are you doing? Like, we should do an immaculate grid, Plez, of Michigan basketball. And it should be 
all nine fucking squares should just say, I've never beaten Brad Underwood and just have Jawan Howard's picture on every square. That's what it should be. Like, you have no room to discuss or disparage Illinois basketball. Rutgers can talk shit. Purdue can talk shit. Indiana, Michigan State, Iowa, Penn State. Penn State beat Illinois three times last year. Michigan ain't the team that should be talking about it. <laughs> so anyway, I just I just thought that was a fun way to end it. And hey, since we're talking shit about Michigan, if you guys would love to join us on our podcast to explain, we would love to have you. We'll help each other out. It's it's like a barnacle and a whale. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah let's, let's let's just chop it up. It's no problem. We're, we're nice people. It's just, I think that's the thing. It's like, it's just low-hanging fruit, like, Ohio State football is not going to give a rat's ass what Illinois is doing. Like, are we playing them this week? Okay, cool. We're going to talk about it. After that, they do not exist in our headspace. By the way, Phil Steele, you know, we talked about Phil Steele earlier, just to do a quick thought. Phil Steele has Illinois' easiest opponent this year as Indiana. Oh, no. Second Northwestern and third Purdue. We won't even get to the non-con until the fourth toughest game, according to Phil Steele, which he has is Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic, yeah, I figured that. Yeah. I mean, I I said that a couple weeks ago. Like, I don't think they're just going to stroll in and wallop Toledo. I don't. I think Toledo's going to give them a game. They've had a lot of success, even when Tim Beckman was there. They were very <laughs> successful. I yeah, mean. It was- Jason, Jason Candle's Candle, doing a great job. Good. Matt Campbell before that. He's done pretty well for himself since leaving. That's a good program. It's a good That's program. A- they understand the assignment. They're not trying to win the Natty. Like, let's just win the Mac. Let's win nine or ten a year. You know, we're good. Like, Northern yeah. Illinois had that going on for, like, seven or eight years where they were the dominant team in the Mac. And they won, you know, nine or ten games occasionally they broke through and got to, I think it was still the BCS at that time. And they got to one of those bowl games. It's like, if we get smashed, we get smashed. 40 million people are watching us play Florida state right now. Like, are you kidding me? Like they don't lose the plot. They understand the plot and and they know their role in it. If that's all we're asking Illinois fans to do really, that's seriously like all, all joking aside, we're asking you to understand the plot. I am. I will be over the moon. My dad will be doing cartwheels wherever he is. If they win the Big Ten or get to the Big Ten title game or something, like, come on. Like, Northwestern did it three times. If Northwestern can do it, Illinois can do it as well. Maybe not after 2024. We should probably try to be as good now as we can get. So just understand the plot. Enjoy the ride. We're in good hands. If Illinois ends up being seven and five, eight and four, nine and three for like a four or five year period, you're telling me you're not going to be happy with that? There's going to be a statue of Brick Bielema outside the stadium if that happens. <laughs> like, that's like the Fitzgerald thing. It's like, he won 110 games in 17 years. Yeah. He's the greatest coach they've ever had. He is, but it's like that's six wins a year. Yeah. That's, that's that's reasonable. Six wins a year. And like three of those years you played for the Big Ten Championship. So how yeah. many of those years did you go like three and nine or two and ten? Like, holy shit, man. Understand the plot. That's all we're asking. Agreed. I think we found the name of the episode this week. Understand the plot. I love uh, it. All right. A reminder, you can always follow us on social media to search for the Champagne Room on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Tons of great content there for you. Uh, check out our stuff at thechampagneroom.com. Lots of great pieces every single day. We're cranking stuff out, some of which, like Mahir, as we mentioned earlier, 
like James's last week we talked about, some of that stuff you're not going to get anywhere else, really and truly. So uh, please do check it out. Show some love. Uh, we love you for doing that. And um, programming note, there will not be an OSCE talk next week. I'm sure you're all very crestfallen, very disappointed. I'm going to be out of town on vacation, trying to soak up whatever <laughs> whatever ounce of summer I can get left. And uh, then Big Ten Media Days after that in Indy. So this kind of version, this back and forth, you know, we might not see that for a little while, but uh, it's going to be a few weeks before we get another episode of Oski Talk. So if you do like the show, you enjoy listening to uh, our vociferous defense of Illini athletics, then you can check out previous episodes of thechampagneroom.com as well. I mentioned surprising before. That was like the Pee Wee Herman word. I think vociferous is now. <laughs> you said the secret word. <laughs> Where's Cherry? I need a big blue <laughs> fluffy chair to sit on. <laughs> Plez Honeywood, thanks again for your insight and uh, doing what you do, bringing the fire every single week. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. ILL. I and I. <laughs>